Welcome to this episode of the Plant Breeding Stories podcast, where we speak to leading lights in plant breeding, asking what they do, what makes them tick, and what fascinates them about the world of plants. If you've listened to Plant Breeding Stories before, you'll know that this is not the voice of your usual host, Hannah Senior. That's because today, Hannah is our guest. So today, I'm your host, Rob Coy, the commercial manager at PBS International, where we design and produce specialist pollination bags and tents used by plant breeders and seed producers all around the world. Throughout this series, Hannah has met some amazing people who make plant breeding their life's work. And this has given us a unique perspective on how plant breeding globally affects our diets, farming systems, and the environment. Season four is the last season of the podcast for now. It's been incredible hearing so many aspects of the plant breeding world throughout the series. And that's literally the world. If you're listening to this, you're part of a community that spans the globe from Albania to Zambia, Ames, Iowa, and Adelaide, Australia, to Zurich in Switzerland. So Hannah, welcome to the Plant Breeding Stories podcast. I've known you for several years now. We've worked together for several years, but our listeners probably don't know too much about you. So why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background? Um, well, it's very strange to be on this side of the um, table. Um, so my name is Hannah Senior. I am the CEO of PBS International and normally the host of the Plant Breeding Stories podcast. I grew up in Yorkshire, which is in the north of England, in quite a rural community. And I left all of that behind in the early part of my career. I, um, I studied experimental psychology, so nothing to do with plants. And then I went into business and I worked for big corporates, including Tesco, the retailer, international retailer, and as a strategy consultant. And, you know, really, I... I I didn't anticipate that I would be coming back into agriculture and the world of plant breeding and so on at that point. You said your first interest was psychology. Did you have any interest in plants or biology at all growing up? I was interested in biology. I loved biology. I loved studying psychology. But when my career took me into business and then later on, I decided that I didn't want to work for big corporates anymore. I wanted to do my own thing. I ended up acquiring PBS International, and that was my way into plant breeding. So I spent a lot of time traveling to meet customers and understanding their needs better. And because I had a good background in biology and genetics and statistics and experimental design and so on, all of those things were really helpful for me getting very quickly up the curve of the world of plant breeding. And I found myself standing in, you know, standing in a field in Oklahoma or a plantation in Indonesia and being like, huh, why did I leave science behind? And, um, you know, I really love agriculture. <laughs> so, so it was this like sense of coming home and, and I've, I've really enjoyed spending the last 10 years in the world of plants and plant breeding. And for the record, psychology was not a total waste of time because it turns out that, you know, this sort of sense of um, GBI interactions, messy experimental contexts, making it difficult to identify signal from noise. Those are very common problems across both disciplines. So I think I know the answer to this, having worked with you for a few years now. But for our listeners, what does PBS International do? So PBS International is a very niche business. So we make bags and tents that plant breeders and seed producers put over their plants in order to control pollination and to ensure that the genetics of the seeds are the genetics that are intended. What we do is really specialist because we bring together these two branches of technology. There's plant 
plants and plant science and the needs of plant breeders and seed producers. But then in order to meet those needs, we bring a completely different sphere of technology, which is around technical fabrics. So how do you make fabrics that you can use which then let enough light in or keep pollen of small enough pollen grains out? Or how do you make sure it's strong enough so that it doesn't disintegrate while it's in use? So it's that combination of those two technologies, understanding the polymer science and the manufacturing techniques that give you the material properties. And then how do those behave when you use them in a plant setting? That's that's our expertise. So we make and develop and trial products, and then we supply them to customers literally all around the world. It's a very international business. And there's a family connection with PBS International, isn't there? Yeah. So so I mentioned I acquired PBS International in 2010. Um, it was a family business before that, my, my family's business. The company has been around for a long time. And actually, it was my mum who was really instrumental in creating PBS International as a company in its own right. She was the one that had the enthusiasm for plants and a background in botany. And in the, in the 1980s, with four little kids at home set off to Malaysia to go and find out, you know, why, what are people buying these for and how does it fit in? And then my dad's side, um, his company focused on the manufacturing and the, the sort of logistics part of the business. Um, so, so that's how it came about. And why did you decide to buy the business? I'd been in California doing a, an MBA at Stanford and I knew I wanted to do something more entrepreneurial, but also my parents were reaching a stage where they were starting to think about how they were going to exit their businesses, how they were going to think about retirement. And so I breezily said to them, I will come and help you find an exit, but I will not be your exit. <laughs> but I ended up acquiring the business from them. <laughs> so what made you decide to do this podcast? Well, I suppose it originally came out of needs must with COVID. You know, normally we would be able to go and visit customers and go to conferences and things like that. But that wasn't possible during COVID. You know, we were we were stuck at home. And so I started thinking about, well, how can we keep in contact with our customers? But but there was also another thing, which is I guess I knew that plant breeders don't normally blow their own trumpet very much. And actually often people misattribute a lot of things to plant breeders. And that felt unfair to me. You know, there's often concern around the GM hoo-ha or, oh, corporate evils, you know, that's all, it's all a, um, a plot. And, and actually all the plant breeders that I know are smart, genuine, thoughtful people who are really motivated by high ideals. So I thought that if we did this and kind of shared the diversity of perspectives and technologies and personalities that are working in this space, then that would A, be interesting for our customers, but B, be interesting for the wider community of people who are curious about what plant breeders do or plant science in general. And so that was my, um, my reason for thinking it would be an interesting experiment for us. You've had some really interesting guests on the podcast talking about a whole range of subjects. Are there any recurring themes or learning points that you've taken from the series? Well, it has been a, a really fascinating, uplifting 
mind-expanding experience. So there have been lots of themes that have come up over and over again in different interviews at different times, which have actually been quite, I suppose, surprising to me. The Maybe not ideas that were entirely new, but they've given me new perspectives on it. So an example would be the importance of long-term funding. Yes, it, on one level, it's it's intuitive. Plant breeding is not a speedy game. You need to have long-term ongoing funding in order to be successful as a plant breeder. But that feeds into things like, well, if decision makers and the public don't know what plant breeders do, then how can you get that long-term support? And if the importance of genetic diversity isn't understood, then gene banks won't be well financed. And and once that's lost, it's lost for good. So, you know, some of those themes came up and were, were, I suppose, just much more nuanced issues than I had previously understood them to be. Another example would be the pace of technology and commercial development um, and how that has changed plant breeding over time. And and these things, you know, new technologies, they they present massive opportunities. You know, the fact that gene editing is so much more accessible now means that orphan crop development can occur at a much lower cost than it would have been possible before. But it also creates risks. You know, there's unintended consequences or tensions that arise from that. And so the the issues around the technology and the commercial changes over time as businesses have consolidated has really come through. But even with all of that, with those that constantly changing environment, there is lots of scope to be dynamic and creative in in the way that you do plant breeding or the way that you commercialize your activities. And I think that's been quite exciting. And you included quite a lot of new technologies and startups among your interviewees. So why why was that? Well, one very powerful way of bringing new ways of doing things to agriculture or to plant breeding or to seed production is through entrepreneurship. It's a very powerful technique of, of bringing innovations that maybe are too niche for the very large companies to engage in, or perhaps considered a bit too fringe um, for other organizations to, to be focused on. I mean, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur myself and, and it's hard. It's hard to do something new from scratch. So it's, it's really interesting to talk to those organizations about what they're doing and why they're doing it and the kind of challenges that they're facing. Because I think it tells us a lot about where the future could be. And it tells us a lot about how we can make agriculture more sustainable. And there are a lot of really good ideas coming out of that community. And in fact, I've just completed a piece of research work on this very topic around entrepreneurship and agriculture. So if anybody's interested to listen, um, I, I have just completed a documentary podcast, which goes through this whole question about how do we bring entrepreneurship and new technology to agriculture so we can do things better for the environment, for agriculture as a whole, for entrepreneurs. So that's called Innovating Ag Tech, and you can find it wherever you found this podcast. One of the themes that I've noticed coming up a lot in the podcast is that of diversity, and not just diversity in terms of crops and genetics, but the diversity of systems, climates, and approaches to the agricultural problems to be solved. Why do you think diversity is important in the context of the plant breeding world? There's sort of two reasons why I think diversity is important. One is a matter of principle. So that's the 
context of equality, diversity, inclusion, sort of human diversity. But then there's also the sense of um, diversity in the context of feeding humans and agriculture as a whole is complex. And if you have less diversity, you often have less resilience. It comes out in different ways. For example, the diversity of farming systems is really important. There's, we, we interviewed people who are breeders for organic systems, and we interviewed people who are breeders for other systems. And actually, we should be thinking those of those not as either or, but both and because we need a diversity of different approaches in order to solve some of the problems that the food system has. Also, things like um, the genetic diversity, which I touched on previously, you know, we have through the last 100, 150 years lost a lot of the land races that were used that contained lots of genetic diversity. As we've bred elite lines, we've become more and more focused on a very narrow gene pool. And, and that's given us huge yield and you know huge efficiency, but it does also make us more vulnerable to pests and diseases and so on that can then attack those, those varieties. So again, thinking about how genetic diversity feeds into this is a really important theme that came up over and over again in the conversations that I had. I suppose one other point on the gender side is that we in the UK tend to think of farming as a bit more of a male profession. There are more male farmers than there are female. But when you're thinking about the world as a whole, that changes. You know, A lot of the smallholder farmers are women and they sometimes have very different needs. That was something that also came up over and over again in the interviews, which really struck me, that sense of making sure that the diversity of perspectives is being accounted for when you're setting up your breeding objectives. And another theme I've heard come up a lot is systems and systems thinking. What do you mean by that? Uh, well, I suppose it's because biology is not an equation. It's not an engineering problem that can be solved in a simple way because there are all these interconnected behaviors, patterns, consequences, which spin out from a choice that's made. So to give you an example, Norman Borlaug did a fantastic job in reducing hunger by developing new varieties that, you know, dwarf varieties and so on that, that really have saved probably a billion people from starvation, which is amazing. But it also had knock-on consequences with biodiversity and um, dependence on a lot of synthetic inputs that have also had economic impact. And so I suppose the systems perspective is rather than trying to boil these complex biological and ecological cause and effects down to something a bit like an equation, it's saying, well, actually, these are really complex interactions and trying to think about how those interactions pan out when you're making choices and when you're observing what do I need to do differently in the next iteration is what I mean by the systems thinking. You know, kind of having that more nuanced perspective that plant breeding is embedded in agricultural seed production systems, food systems, which are complicated and messy. And sometimes, with the best of intentions, we end up not achieving our goals because things don't quite work out as planned. You're listening to Plant Breeding Stories, brought to you by PBS International, world leaders in pollination control. 
We're exploring the personal stories behind people who've dedicated their careers to plant breeding, helping us to more productive plants, greater food security, and more sustainable agriculture. Now, back to the podcast. There have been nearly 40 episodes of Plant Breeding Stories, and you have dedicated listeners in over 50 countries in the world. Why are you stopping now? It was a very difficult decision. So I am taking a pause on Plant Breeding Stories because I wanted to make sure that it gets done properly. And I have some obligations coming up, which I'm very excited about, but are going to be very time consuming. And I'm worried that I won't be able to do both. So in particular, as of August, um, I will be taking over as president of the National Association of Plant Breeders. Um, It's a huge privilege to have that role. And it's an important, entirely volunteer driven organization. And I would like to do that justice. And in addition to that, I understand there are some exciting things to come from PBS International this year. Tell me more about that. We have some really ambitious plans. We've um, we've spent a long time developing new products and um, sharing those with the market. And, and we are really beginning to build some exciting momentum around commercializing the, the products that we've done a lot of research on. But also we've got a really exciting pipeline of new products for new crops um, or particular needs that aren't being met at the moment. So I in addition to NAPB, want to make sure that I'm devoting my energies to making sure that PBS um, continues its momentum to to make sure that the products that are needed for plant breeders are available to them. And I just have to go on a rant for a moment there, because one of the things that I have seen, and it's been a big motivator for me, is that sometimes I go to talk to plant breeders and they say, well, you know, I don't need a different bag. I'll just use this one, this plastic one that I've always used or this paper bag that I've always used. And then, and then I sort of, you know, get into conversation and it turns out that, oh, about a third of the plants that they're covering die or get so diseased that they can't get any seeds from it. It blows my mind that a plant breeding program can spend so much money in the double haploid work or the, you know, gene editing work. And then, and all the crossing and all the labor and the greenhouses, and then knowingly lose a third of your plants because you're economizing on a 10p, 10 cent pollination bag. And so part of that process for me is around PVS is, is kind of sharing that you don't need to use a fancy bag for everything, but really think about when you are doing it and when it does make sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at the work we did with sorghum, a third of the crop was being wiped out by bird damage. You know, for us to be able to negate that risk with one of our products has been incredibly beneficial for farmers and the sorghum industry as a whole. Right, because often you don't see, you know, the, the challenges that often the labor costs sit in one person's budget and the materials costs sit in somebody else's budget. So so the person who buys the pollination bags may not have any input in the labor. But actually, if you look at the organization as a whole, um, if you're having to send people out on a daily basis to replace pollination bags, that's a huge waste of time and effort. And and we all know that finding, you know, skilled labor is is hard to do. Um, so that's one thing. Plus, your results aren't as good. You know, your crosses are contaminated. So, you know, there's lots of reasons why um why we do what we do and why continuing to communicate that then gives 
plant breeders and seed producers the choice. You know, they can make an informed choice because they know there are options rather than defaulting to that thing that, that you know, that, that plastic bag or that paper bag that they've always used, even though it lets them down year after year because, because oh, I didn't realize there was any other option out there. So outside of PBS and NAPB and all these things you're going to be doing this year, what else is attracting your interest and energies at the moment, Hannah? Well, I mentioned that I'm interested in agricultural technology more broadly, and that is something that I do spend quite a lot of time and energy thinking about and and working on. We have fairly sizable problems in agriculture. You know, agriculture is, as a whole, globally, absolutely atrocious for the environment. We have very serious labour issues. We we um, there's a lot of in agriculture. There's a lot of labor shortage and there's a lot of labor exploitation and we have many farmers globally who struggle to just make ends meet you know and certainly to make ends meet minus subsidies so you know those are big problems that we need to address and how technology and particularly entrepreneurs bringing new technologies to market influence that is something that really interests me and I've spent quite a lot of time and energy on. I mentioned previously the agri-tech work that the podcast documentary that I produced called Innovating Ag-Tech and that is a thought piece to stimulate discussion but to have a real impact in the world you have to go beyond discussion into action and so I would like to make sure that I can help to get that get those conversations going in the innovation and agricultural communities and bringing that to the next stage you know what concerns do you have for the future when you've looked at all these different technologies and the the issues that we've got in agriculture in general you know what concerns do you have for the future one thing that concerns me is this failing to recognize the, the, the complex nature of the challenges that we're working with. They're messy, they're complicated, sometimes the impacts are unexpected. And, and that needs a whole different way of thinking about things, which we typically don't learn about as we go through our education. So I think there's something I'm concerned about around how do we get more systems thinking training into the brilliant science that goes on around the world. So that's one area. Another area that I am concerned about is that agriculture is not viewed as very sexy and very interesting by a lot of people. And that is such a misunderstanding. And it, I find it really frustrating. Um, you know, often people think food is really exciting, but when you get into where that food comes from, how it's produced. Oh, no, I'm not so interested in that. And and maybe it's because when we're growing up, we all read books with old MacDonald, you know, on his ancient tractor chewing a piece of corn. You know, it's not like that. It's, it's, it's a hugely exciting area with loads of opportunity and loads of different disciplines go into agriculture. Really cutting edge science. And I think it's such a crying shame that that the excite, excitement doesn't get communicated to young people who are thinking about what they want to do with their lives. So, so I guess those are the, the two concerns for me, more systems thinking and more um, illustrating just how interesting agriculture is so that more bright people want to come into it. What excites you about the world of plant breeding? What inspires you to continue the work that you're doing? 
I think one thing that's really exciting is how international it is. Again, it's something I realized from doing these interviews is how many people have the opportunity to live and work in different parts of the world and how that's opened their eyes to different ways of doing things, different cultures, different farming environments and so on. And being part of a community that is so international is is really exciting. I also think that a lot of plant breeding has been focused on the rich world. And that means that there has been a bit of a, a neglect, you know, they call, they're called orphan crops for a reason. There's been a neglect of species, which are really important in poorer parts of the world. But as the cost of the technologies to characterize those species to develop and, and improve those species has come down, there is more and more opportunity to really make a difference. And in the context of climate change, that cannot come soon enough. You know, we really do need to make sure that everybody in the world stands to benefit from improved varieties. It doesn't mean we have to lose the heritage varieties that exist. It doesn't mean that we need to lose seed sovereignty. There are lots of ways of doing things that allow us to bring the benefits of, of plant breeding so that, so that a wider proportion of humanity can benefit. And I, I think that's really motivating. Why do you think the developing world has been overlooked? I think one of the reasons is that there hasn't been enough long-term funding. So plant breeding programs cannot be supported on the basis of three-year grants. You know, they need long-term um, support in order to build capability, develop germplasm collections and preserve genetic diversity in order for each new development to build on previous developments and also to build relationships within the farming and seed production community so that innovations do actually get out into the real world. Now, that is hard enough in the rich world, you know, if particularly if you're talking about species other than, I don't know, maize, soy, wheat, it's really hard to get long-term funding. If you're then asking for that long-term funding to be focused on parts of the world where where there just aren't the resources for self-funding and it's it's relying on international donors that's a lot harder and i and i think it's um it's a big failing to be so short-termist but i also recognize how difficult it is for organizations to make very long-term funding commitments when sometimes it's quite hard to put your finger specifically on what the outputs of these programs are. But, but I think that's probably one of the big reasons that plant breeding has tended to focus on the commercial organizations that can fund their own work. But it is short-term thinking, and I think that that will have very undesirable consequences in the long run. Where do you see there are more opportunities for plant breeding? I think, and I would count myself in this, I think people in general don't think about plants very much. <laughs> so I think I think there's a massive opportunity to just increase awareness about plants and how fascinating they are. You know, there's this idea of plant blindness, isn't there, where you can look at a picture and, and actually most people look straight past the plants and focus on, I don't know, the rabbit or whatever it is in the picture that's not a plant. And I think I think, you know, chipping away at that and trying to share 
our enthusiasm for the world of plants is a, is a massive opportunity. And, and part of that is recognizing that it's really hard for people to get their heads around plants often because the timescales are so different. They're so different from human timescales. And um, the biology might not be as familiar, but but there's some brilliant authors out there writing really interesting books on plants that'll get you know um, people who otherwise might not be super excited about it engaged, and um, you know documentaries and things like that. So there's lots going on in that in that area, but I think that's a big opportunity. Are there any influences you're particularly grateful for in your life? Lots of influences. People throughout my life have been hugely supportive and I have been incredibly lucky to have the opportunities I've had. But there is one person who stands out when you say that and in connection with what we've talked about today, which is my biology teacher when I was at school, Mrs. Fitter. Mrs. Fitter was a, a really inspiring teacher and responsible for my love of biology. Um, but she also helped me to recognize that it was a subject that I was good at. I don't think I, I recognized that I had capability until she believed in me and supported me. And it was as a consequence of her support that I ended up applying to Oxford and being accepted. Um, I, I didn't, didn't see that as being a route that would be relevant to me at all. And she was the one who supported and encouraged me. And actually, one of the things that makes me really sad is that I never thanked her for for that and never told her what an impact she had on my life. A few years ago, I, I heard she was ill and I didn't realize how ill she was until it was too late and she'd passed away. And um, so, you know, I, I think this is a good opportunity to recognize Mrs. Fitter and say thank you very much for, um, for setting me on a path that I have, that I love and that I have really enjoyed. If you could go back to the start of your career, would you do anything differently? Well, there have been times where I've thought maybe I would if I could go backwards. But actually, I think the thing is about the way careers unfold is that each thing builds on the thing before. And and you will I love what I do at the moment. I love the work, you know, working with PBS and in plant breeding and in agricultural technology more widely. And if I made different choices earlier, then I might not have ended up here. And that would be a shame. So everybody's life and career has moments where we think, oh, that was a bad choice or oh, I wish I hadn't done this. But actually, that's what shapes us. And that's what helps us to work out where we really do have a good fit between our interests and passions and and what we do. So, so no, in a, in a word... No, I don't think I would change anything. Fantastic. One last question for you. What would you say you're most proud of so far? I think it is the PBS team in the last couple of years. We, you know, in the UK, we have had a rocky ride off it recently. Um, I mentioned PBS is a almost entirely export oriented business. And with Brexit, we've had this massive turmoil in our trading terms, the logistics of getting things in and out of ports, you know, all those kinds of issues. And then we got COVID on top of that. And now we've got inflation and a war. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's just been one thing after another. It's been a very um, challenging time. But our team have just kept on going and have 
been really focused on what do customers need? How do we keep making absolutely the best quality products and and making sure that they get into customers' hands um, when they're needed? And I suppose when you see a good team, you realize just how much that group can achieve. They are they have moved mountains. There's no doubt about it. So it's, I think that's what I'm most most proud of is just being part of such an awesome team. Well, thank you, Hannah. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the other side of the microphone instead of all your interviewees. <laughs> um, it's been wonderful to hear the whole series um, of plant breeding stories. And thank you for wrapping that up and talking about your life, um, what's influenced you and, um, and what's exciting about the future. And I hope everybody's enjoyed listening to the series so far. Now, we keep saying it's going to finish the series four, but Knowing Hannah as I know Hannah, I think we might see another series in the future. So um, I guess we better watch this space. Good stuff. Yeah, it's been, it's been fun. <laughs> You've been listening to Plant Reading Stories by PBS International. Plant reading is a pretty specialist podcast topic, which can make it difficult for people who share our interest in this kind of thing to find it. So if you've enjoyed the podcast, recommend it to your friends and colleagues and please help others in the plant science community to find it. You can contact us on Twitter at PBSInt or on Instagram at PBS underscore Int. Until next time, stay well.